Welcome to the Sober Gay Sunday podcast, a podcast about being gay and sober and not just on Sundays. In this podcast, we'll explore the ins and outs of being queer and sober in a world where drinking and using are woven into the fabric of our culture. This season, we'll be hearing the stories of addiction and recovery from sober gays from all over the world. Every story of recovery is unique in its own way, and every story deserves to be heard. So let's go. In this episode, we welcome Alex. Alex has been out since 2011 and working in Northwest Pennsylvania queer activism ever since. He joined the board of the NWPA Pride Alliance in 2012 at the age of 22. He spent much of his 20s in environments where drinking was expected, leading to alcoholism. In 2019, he started to experience medical issues that were made worse by drinking. His health forced his hand, and in June of 2023, he celebrated four years of sobriety. Please welcome Alex. Even like that time frame after my surgery, while I was still not while I was still in recovery and not drinking, I was still attending social events and just mm -hmm. avoiding the alcohol with my support yeah. system. Um, even in that time, I was still on the go. I was busy and I was always in that environment. And mm -hmm. then I was dealing with that struggle. And then the, when everything slowed down, it was like, I didn't have to do any of that. So that, that initial wave of how am I going to handle the, the urge wasn't there. Yeah. What, in what the period that I thought at the time would have been the hardest time, like that yeah. first six months to a year. For sure. So what are some of the uh, tools in your sobriety toolbox that you use now? Do you go to meetings or do you do therapy, any sort of groups and organizations, um, anything like that? Journaling, what are some of your tools? Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the ways that I found out about you was about another podcast. Um, you and I were both guests on the Gay A podcast. So oh, okay, I yeah, yeah. love listening to, to podcasts um, just about other people, hearing other people's stories. Um, when I heard that you were launching your podcast, I was like, oh, I, I can't wait to listen to that. So I love hearing other people's stories. That really helps me. Um, just that feeling that you're not alone uh, is always mm -hmm. great. Um, I have a really great support system that are, when I'm going through stuff, are willing to drop whatever they're doing and come help me when I need it. Um, so that's always great. And then I've really, in the last probably two years, really opened up to journaling. So that's something that, although I would never want anyone to read the stuff I write in my journal, gets it out of my head. Um, once yeah. I put it on paper, it's like, it's giving me permission to stop thinking about it and yeah, just let sure. it go. So um, that's something that I've really started to enjoy. And I've, being as open as I've been about my sobriety and everything, mm -hmm. um, it really has created a community here within Erie where I have people reaching out to me all different ages talking about their struggles and mm -hmm. going through uh, their different steps of the process. So it's really created that nice little support system where even if I may not know them on a personal level, I, I can be at a pride event. Somebody can walk up and go, um, hey, I've read your story. I've heard your story. Um, mm -hmm. Because when I started talking about my sobriety, um, our local newspaper ran an article on it because that wasn't something that was talked about. Yeah, I mean, it was a front front page Pride Month article. The local queer community, how? Because that was one thing that our our community was so bar based. 
to be able to kind of grow outside of that. And that's something that like as pride president, my, one of the things that I'd like to do is create venues that are either a hybrid thing or allows something to focus on not drinking. So like Erie is very drinking culture. It's like ingrained. It's a huge party town. Um, but we, with the pride Alliance, we've partnered with our local sports teams to have a pride night at the game. Now, Mm -hmm. Alcohol is for sale, but it's a secondary thing. Yeah, um, for sure. We do a social hour at one of our local restaurants. And in Erie, if a restaurant wants to survive, it's going to have a liquor license. Yeah. So it's it's like, it's really impossible to avoid a lot of that stuff around here. Like if you want to go to a restaurant that is an adult restaurant that doesn't have a liquor license, you're bound to the chain. And nobody wants to go to a happy hour at a McDonald's. Like... <laughs> it's, that's that's kind of like voiding the point of a happy social hour, right? Um, but it's really the, these events that we've created have become more of a social hour where it's sit down, have a meal with your friends and family, and there's a group of people that attend all of these that are sober. And mm-hmm. the one of the things as I'm organizing these events, I actually mandate that if it if it the restaurant has a uh, bar a liquor license. They also have to have a equally um, robust mocktail menu so that anybody that does not drink can come in and order a mocktail and not feel like they have to drink water. They have to just drink the juice. Like they, yeah. they can get something and still feel included without having that alcohol there. That's I love that idea. I've, I've, I haven't heard that yet. And that's really cool. Um, a lot of the restaurants here in Boston like are starting to bump up their mocktail it's it's getting bigger and bigger like sobriety in general is just kind of like really taking off so it's great to have options that's some that's some of the appeal of drinking in the first place is like the cute drinks the cute drinks and just being social like that that was that, yeah that's the one thing that i missed a little bit is like i feel like um when i got sober i did lose a lot of my the people that i thought were my friends that turned out looking back on it are, were drinking buddies mm-hmm. um i missed that social aspect to a certain extent like yeah. looking back on it, I can see where it was not good for me, mm-hmm. but I do miss that, like being around people and that aspect of it. So it's trying to create events that allows that um, feeling, but mm-hmm. is not centered around a bar. So um, now that you are sober, what are some new plans and goals you that have emerged in your life? So I quit drag after... After a while of doing drag sober, um, I realized that I lost the um, passion for drag um, just because of some some politics and just my my heart wasn't there um, with yeah. it anymore because drag is a very bar-based uh, art form in our mm-hmm. region. Uh, so I quit that and I've kind of shifted to photography. Uh, it was better on my mental health, better on my physical body. Um, not prancing around in high heels is right. <laughs> does wonders for your back. Right. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I've really moved on to photography. I I'm enjoying getting out and traveling. Um, you know, when you're not going to the bar and dropping 50 to a hundred bucks a night, um, you find that you have some extra money. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh so yeah. I like, yes, I like to put that into traveling. So, um, I'm on a mission, uh, to kind of take those crossroads and visit. I want to visit all 50 states and I do a lot of animal photography. So I want to visit a zoo in all 50 states also. 
So um, I'm sitting at 11 currently. So if you could give one piece of advice to a newly sober person, what would it be? You know, it's one of the most difficult things to do, especially after you become sober. Put put yourself out there a little bit. And I know you've talked about it a little bit. Um, using just the hashtag online that you're sober can take yourself a long way, especially in a smaller community like mine. It's hard to connect with people locally. Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as you start to put yourself out there as somebody sober, and as soon as you're able to, you're comfortable doing that, it makes it easier for you to connect with others. And mm-hmm. then build that support system. Um, and it's a completely different support system from the one that you had that maybe got you through the process. Like mm-hmm. for me, I have a, a great friends group that would support me through anything. But I also know that that friends group would support me if I started to to use again and to drink again. They would be like, okay, you're going through some stuff. Um, they're not necessarily going to help hold me accountable if I started to drink. Whereas some of my sober friends that I have, if I started to drink, they're going to step in and help me to get back to being sober. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think like as soon as you start putting yourself out there and connect with other sober people, it really helps build a a better safety net in case you do slip up and start to drink again or use again. So Mm -hmm. it's very challenging to put yourself out there and to be vulnerable in that aspect. And not everybody's ready for it, but as soon Mm -hmm. as you feel ready for it, I would encourage somebody to do it. Yeah, there's something also to be said for for having friends that really understand what alcoholism is. Having friends who don't understand um, is is challenging because, like you said, they'll support no matter what you do. But you're like brothers in arms that have been through the fucking ringer and have done crazy shit and have experienced that addiction path there's a certain connection that you just can't have with people who are normal um even when i go out to the clubs here in boston i have a lot of sober friends it's it's crazy and you're you'll be in the middle of a dance club and you'll just like give each other you'll like look at each other across the room and you both know that you are both in the same reality and a different reality than everybody else and that connection is like very calming it calms me (laughs) you know yeah and there's something about being in a room full of people that that are enjoying themselves and are using alcohol responsibly mm-hmm. to enjoy themselves yeah. and being there with somebody that you know that if either of you were to start to drink, like that was always my thing. I know I can't have just one. If I have yep. one, it's next thing I know, the entire bottle's gone. Exactly. Um, yes. Same. And like, I've had that conversation with my parents. They're like, they, they, they're like, are you done drinking forever? I'm like, in my head, I, I think I have to be like, I, I'm, ne- mm-hmm. I'm not going to sit here and, and put unrealistic expectations on myself and say, yes, I'm done forever. Cause that's just too much pressure for me to handle. Yeah. But I, I, I don't see a situation where I can go back to drinking. Like one of the, one of the, the only thing that I miss about drinking is I love to drink wine and our region here in Erie, it was known for, we have really good wine. But mm-hmm. I also know that if I had a, if I have a bottle of wine, I'm drinking the whole bottle that night in which yes. it's going to put me right back into the same point I was. So yeah. I, I can't, I, I know my, I, I know myself enough that I can't go back and do that. So it's one of those mm-hmm. things that like with, when I'm with some of my friends, one of my best friends in Needville, when we do our social hour down there, 
him and mm-hmm. I will sit there and talk forever and just have a great time. Everybody else yeah. is drinking around us. And he goes, do you ever wish that you could have a drink here? I'm like, no, no, I don't. Right. I like the, the clarity I have. I love everything. And he goes, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I, I think I, I almost wish I would want to have a drink in a situation like this. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that voice in the back of my head just says, if you did, you would ruin everything. And it's like, yeah, exactly. The fact that now four years removed, that voice is stronger than the voice saying, have a drink really just, it speaks volumes to me now. What is some advice that you would give to someone who is dealing with a loved one currently in active addiction? That one, that, that, that's a difficult one. Um, yeah, it is. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the, the difficult thing with somebody in active addiction and I think like as somebody with that, that voice that I've seen that I've went through it. Um, I think the important thing there is that being there to, to love them is going to be the most important thing. And I, I'm not a believer in the, the inter the confrontational intervention style. Um, if somebody would have tried to do that to me, it would not have went well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it no, would no, not no. have went well. There, there are very few people that I would have allowed something like that to happen and not immediately cut them out of my life. Exactly. Um, like my parents, my, I have a t- my, my twin sister, my older brother, and that probably would have been about it. Everybody else, I probably would have cut out of my life completely. Um, I think, if anything, I think for me anyways, if I could be kept busy in an environment that did not involve alcohol, my problem my urges did not surface. Yeah. So it may be, it may seem like a small thing to do, but if you can help, like maybe you take them to somewhere that does not involve alcohol, personal experience, take somebody to a Mm -hmm. zoo for a day. Most zoos don't serve alcohol. Um, Usually you're keeping somebody busy to the point that that addiction voice in their head is kind of shut off because they're engaged somewhere else. So yeah. if you can kind of help them, it, it may not be a full-time escape, but even just that little bit can be helpful. And in many situations, that can almost trigger that other voice to say, I went four hours without drinking. Even when I w- was drinking a lot, I had a lot. There was days that maybe I went an, an entire weekend without drinking because I went camping with a friend that we did take alcohol. Like mm-hmm. I would come home Monday and I'd be like, wow, I went all weekend and I didn't have a single drink. If you could have your dream sober dick gay Sunday activity where money was no object and the sky was a limit. What would your activity be? Well, (laughs) money is no object. I've kind of mentioned it. I'm a huge um, animal nerd. I'll call myself. Um, I love my photography. Um, Mm -hmm. My dream kind of afternoon would be uh, African safari. And that's probably yeah. a little more than just a one Sunday afternoon. But if I'm it's doing it a Sunday afternoon here in Erie, um, I'm mm-hmm. taking a hike. We have a beautiful hiking trail. So if people want to find you on social media, where do they? Where can they find you? Alex Spoon. The last thing is spelled S-T-H-O-N. A um, little bit unique spelling. Um, my Instagram is ADS5202. So those are the best two options, uh, Facebook and uh, Instagram. You can also find my photography on Alex Spoon Photography. 
There we go. That's awesome. So thank you very much for being on. That was a really great interview. Um, all of that information will be found in the show notes so they can find you if they want. And uh, thank you very much again. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the Sober Gay Sunday podcast. Please feel free to like, subscribe, share, and comment. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Sober Gay Sunday. You can also email me directly at SoberGaySunday at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, stay sober, guys. I'm so sick of small talk and tell me something jar-topping in me on my head with your biggest mistakes. I don't want your daily drama, fill me in on family traumas, tell me all the medication that you take. Cause life's so short, we're playing so fast.